The sermon that you are about to view is not a replacement of your participation and commitment to a local church, but we do hope it blesses you. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. Uh, what we're going to do this morning is uh, we're going to carry on in our uh, series in the Old Testament. Last week, we looked at uh, the life of Solomon. I want to uh, conclude our uh, exploration of his life this morning. And uh, one of the things we looked last week about this guy named King Solomon, he was the son of David, King David, King Solomon, and one of the things we looked at was um, how he began his life, or he began his reign as king, and he began with a position of, of humility, because he says to God, God, I don't have what it takes to rule this kingdom, and so I need your help, I need your wisdom. And God in his grace gives him this wisdom, and then we realize, and when we look at the story of Solomon, is that he was incredibly wise. And you see all of his wisdom in action and the way he, he kind of um, uh, solved this case between two women and a baby. And they, they talked to, he, he figured out where justice should lie. And then you also see how Israel uh, expanded. We saw how people came from all around the world just to hear from Solomon because he was the wisest man in the world. And so people came far and wide to hear from him. And we also looked last week at probably his greatest legacy, which is the book of Proverbs. And how if you and I immerse ourselves in this wisdom, this gift of wisdom, that you and I will learn to live lives that reflect the wisdom of God. And uh, so this is Solomon's life. Now I wish I could say at this point that Solomon carried on his life living in wisdom to a ripe old age and then died. But that's not what happens. This is the same Solomon, King Solomon, the wisest man ever. He finishes his life so poorly that in the end, his legacy is not so much wisdom. His legacy is foolishness. Complete, utter foolishness. So how does that happen? How do you go from being the wisest man in the world to, in your dying days, being considered a fool. What happens? Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Kings chapter 11, because that's going to answer our question right at the beginning. 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings is about maybe a quarter of the way in, into your Bible. You can grab one from the pew rack in front of you if you like. 1 Kings chapter 11, and we're going to look at uh, the first few verses. In honor of God's word, let's stand together as I read this. 1 Kings chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them, because they will surely turn your heart after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. 
He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. And so Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and he did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. Lord, we need your wisdom. We need your help. Speak to us, we pray. You are present with your people here this morning. And there's a warning in all this. And we pray that you would give us ears to hear from you and eyes to see and a heart to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So again, the big question this morning is, how did this happen? How do you go from wisdom to folly? How do you go from being a person known as having a discerning heart, a listening heart, to becoming a person where your heart had turned away from the Lord? We read in this passage, we read in, in chapter 11, that Solomon began to follow Ashtoreth. What, what's Ashtoreth? Well, Ashtoreth was a Canaanite fertility goddess was closely connected to cultic temple prostitutions. It's just a horrible thing. But it doesn't stop there. It says Solomon also worshipped this god named Chemosh and this other god named Moloch. Now, Moloch was particularly detestable. This, this, this god, Moloch, that Solomon began to worship, this god, Moloch, demanded sacrifices. But not grain sacrifices. He wanted sacrifices were human sacrifices, and in particular, little human sacrifices. And so here you have this king, Solomon. We can't miss the irony. He begins his career defending two women and trying to preserve the life of a baby. At the end of his career, he's worshiping a God that is demanding the lives of little ones. How does this happen? How does Solomon go from a man who sought God and his wisdom to a man who turned away from the Lord? Well, my guess is, is that if you ask Solomon when he first starts off, Solomon, can you imagine that there will come a day where at the end of your career, you're just going to be an utter fool. You're going to be worshiping all these horrible things and, and your life is going to be an absolute mess. If you had asked Solomon that when he's starting off and said, Solomon, can you imagine that this is going to happen to you? You say, no, not a chance. Not a chance. That will never happen to me. But we all know. I mean, I've, I've done countless weddings and um, where you have the bride and the groom. They stare in each other's eyes and they make this vow that I will love you not just till tomorrow but till death do us part. And I've seen these same couples five years down the road not even being able to be in the same room with each other. And if I ask them on the wedding day, you know what, can you imagine a day where you're going to look at your wife and say, I, I don't even want to be in the same room as you? They would say, not a chance. Not a chance. We love each other. Here's the thing. Nobody sets out to end poorly. But it happens all too often. So how does it happen? Well, I want to look at five steps that it takes for Solomon to go from wisdom to folly. And we're going to be brief because I do recognize it's family weekend and the kids are with us and time is of the essence. So here we go. The first step 
that leads Solomon from wisdom to folly is this. Solomon stopped listening to God. In fact, all, each one of these steps, I could take Solomon's own words and, and, and present them against him. Because what does Solomon say? In Proverbs, the book that he wrote, Proverbs 19.27 says this. Stop listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from words of knowledge. Well, what does Solomon do? He stops listening to instruction. I mean, he knew God's word. He knew God's word. In fact, he knew what God said about what it meant to be a king. God lays out very clear instructions in the book of Deuteronomy in terms of what it means to be a king. What is expected of a king? And if you want to take a look, you can see it. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 17. It's really interesting. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 16. It says this. This is what it means to be a king. The king must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make his people return to Egypt to get more horses. For the Lord has told you, you're not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives. Okay, well done, Solomon. Uh, or his heart will be astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. Okay, so three things. Three things. Very simple. Don't be getting lots of horses, especially from Egypt. Don't be marrying lots of women. And don't be, you know, greedy and amassing all this gold. Okay, so what, what does he do? Well, look at 1 Kings chapter 10. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 26. Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. <laughs> He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses, which he kept in the chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. The king made silver as common, common in Jerusalem as stones and cedar as plentiful as sycamore fig trees in the foothills. Okay, Solomon's horses were imported from where? Egypt. <laughs> so no horses from Egypt. He gets horses from Egypt. Not too many wives. Well, we already saw... 1,000, maybe 999, too many. Um, and then we see in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 14. The weight of the gold that Solomon received yearly was 666 talents, not including the revenues from merchants and traders, from all the Arabian kings and governors. And the... So now here's the thing. God did promise Solomon. He says, you know what? If you live a life of wisdom, you will... Um, I will bless you and, I, and I, I'll give you riches. God does say this. But something happens to Solomon in his heart. And what happens is, he, is, is his attention shifted from the giver of all good gifts to the gifts themselves. And he became so bent on getting blessing, this gift, this gold, that he forgot about the giver. That every good and perfect thing comes from God. In fact, Solomon starts doing whatever he can in order to get more of this gift of the gold. And man, I'll tell you, this is a warning to us. You and I run into trouble when we stop listening to God's instruction. Solomon, somewhere along the line, stopped listening to God. And his heart began to stray. Now, the reality is, is you and I, every day, need to be immersed in God's Word. You cannot, you cannot coast on God's teaching from yesterday. You cannot coast on whatever you heard last Sunday. What does Jesus say? Give us this day 
our daily bread. Every day. We need manna every day. And now this is especially a warning to, to those of you who are here this morning who teach. Maybe you're a small group leader or just a, even as a, as a parent, you're teaching your children or whatever. The thing is, you and I constantly need to be feeding on God's Word in order to feed others. There's a pastor I knew of um, in Hawaii, and he tells the story of, of, of burning out. He, he's a pastor, he completely burned out, and he describes what happened. He says for years, this is what he would do. When he would preach, when he started off, when he preached, he would look at God's Word, and he'd read it, and he'd allow God's Word to speak to his heart, and out of his heart, he'd share the Word with the people. So start here, go here then out. He says, somewhere along the line, he goes, I'm not even sure where it happened. I shifted, and I went, took whatever I could, and just gave it, and just fed it. But it never fed him. And I'll tell you, man, this is, this is, a, this is a hazard for pastors. Because pastors can easily fall into this. We read everything in Scripture with an eye of, oh, that'll preach, oh, that'll preach. But it never goes here. And in the same way, we can read God's word and, just, and just, just give it away and not allow it to hit our hearts. So Solomon, Solomon, he ends up, he stops listening to God. He stops listening to his, his, his own teaching. The second step that he takes is he fails to guard his heart. Again, this is Solomon's own teaching. Look at Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 20, it says, My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them. They are health to one's body. Now get this, hear this. Above all else, guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. But we read that Solomon's heart turned away to other gods. And your heart can only turn away from God when it's not guarded. There's another proverb. In Proverbs 25, verse 28, it says this, Like a city without walls is a man that lacks self-control. Like in an ancient world, a city was surrounded by, wall, by walls, and that would protect what came in and what got out, right? Like a city without walls allows anything in and anything goes out. And Solomon became a person who just allowed anything in and anything went out. There's another proverb that he says. He says, can a man carry fire next to his heart and not get burned? And so the challenge for us in this is we need to ask the question, what are we letting into our hearts? Sometimes we think, you know, if I watch this show or if I... You know, if I visit this particular website or if I go to these places, it's not really going to do much damage, but it's not true. If you're a city without walls, anything goes in, anything goes out. And you let stuff into your life. You let stuff into your heart. You let stuff, and you know the stuff I'm talking about. And you think it's not going to affect your heart? It will. It will do a number on you. You think you can play with fire and not get burnt? Do you know how many people I know whose lives just, and marriages all fell apart because, well, I just did this, I did that. I let all this stuff into my heart. I didn't guard my heart. So one of the beautiful, one of my favorite images of, of, of the call of the Christian life is this uh, old picture by a guy named Jur. And um, 
It's interesting. It's this knight on, on his horse, and, um, and he's traveling. And it's a kind of a picture of the Christian life. It's hard to see, but around him, I don't know if you can see what they are, but they're, they're, they're actually demons. They're the demonic all around him. Now, each one of these demons, is what are, they, what are they trying to do? They're trying to pull him off his path. They're trying to get his attention. They're saying, look here, look here, look here. Come this way. What is he doing? Where is he looking? Straight ahead. Straight ahead. Everything is telling him, go this way, go this way. But he's staying straight ahead. And I want to speak to the young people for a moment. I mean, this, this is important. This is absolutely important. You guys live in a world where there's so much images, so much stuff that's floating around that can really do a number on your heart. Like a city without walls is a person who lacks self-control. Keep your eyes fixed. Keep your eyes focused on the author and the perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. And you won't go, you won't go astray. The third thing that Solomon does is he believes his own press. Somewhere along the line, you get enough people saying, Solomon, you're really wise. Solomon, you're so smart. He's like, you know what? I am pretty smart. I am pretty wise. Ask me a question. Any question. Math, I'm on it. Like, he knew everything. And before you knew it, he started saying, you know what? I am the wisest man alive. What's the beginning of all wisdom? The fear of the Lord. He'd forgotten that. He began to believe his own press. In fact, it's interesting. It's a very subtle passage, but in 1 Kings chapter 6, and it's easy to miss. Listen to this. Just listen to what it says. In the fourth year of Solomon's reign, the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. So he's building God's temple. In the eighth month of the eleventh year of the eleventh year of his reign, the temple was finished according to all of its plans and specifications. Okay. Okay, listen. Solomon spent seven years building it. Solomon took 13 years to finish building his palace. Did you catch that? He builds God's temple. Good on him. Good, good job. That was his role. Takes seven years to build the temple. Takes twice as long to build his own palace. That's uh, a bit of a yellow flag, if not a red flag. He takes twice as long to build his own home. And the danger is this, and it's a warning for us this morning. Beware of your own press. One of the challenges is that we live in echo chambers, right? We bring people around us who build us up. Hey, you're a good guy. Hey, everybody believes the same thing as you. Everybody encourages you the same thing. Bring people around you to just build you up and say good things about you. But you don't need people like that. You need people who are around you and say, what were you thinking? Look, man, I love you. I love you. We're friends. But what were you thinking when you did this? That was really dumb. You and I need people like that who will speak truth into our lives, who love us, but will speak truth and keep us grounded. If you just have an echo chamber around you, oh, yeah, you're awesome. Oh, yeah, you're awesome. Hey, I like you. We both like each other's posts and we're all happy. No. One of my favorite... Um, writers of all time, uh, pastors, is uh, John Newton from the 18th century. And John Newton uh, finished preaching one time, and he's walking down after preaching, and uh, 
one guy comes up to him and goes, Reverend Newton, Reverend Newton. That was a fine message you gave tonight. And Newton goes, I know. The devil already told me that. Yeah. Because he knew, he knew. Beware of your own press. So we need people. Do you have people in your life to keep you grounded? who will speak truth when, when you're going off the rails. You need people like that or you're in trouble. The fourth thing that, Solomon, that happens to Solomon is that he grows complacent in his old age. Now, this is important to see because much of his drifting takes place when he's getting older. So I'm going to speak to older people now, <laughs> including me. Um, now, when you're getting older, it's a vulnerable time. In fact, Scripture teaches us time and time again that um, be very careful when you're getting older. You think you can coast to the finish line. You can't coast to the finish line. And you see examples of this. One of my favorite examples is the example of Isaac. Isaac was whose son? Isaac was the son of Abraham. Abraham was the recipient of the promise. God gave him the promise. The promise was, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Your offspring will make you into a great nation. And through this nation, all the nations of the world will be blessed. This is a promise that he gives to Abraham. Abraham is to take this promise and pass it on to generation to generation. The very next generation, you get Isaac. Isaac does okay. But then he gets older. And when he's older, he has to pass on the blessing to his children. Now, he knows that he's supposed to pass it on to Jacob. But he doesn't even care about that anymore. What does Isaac care about in his later years? He cares about one thing. Yummy, tasty food. Read, read, read the text. That's what, he cares more about, you know, make me that food, you know, the kind that I like. So Jacob tricks him, right? You know the story. Jacob and Esau are his two sons. Um, Isaac's going to pass on the blessing to Esau. It's actually supposed to go to Jacob. Jacob's a sneak, he's a sneaky guy. He dresses up like Esau, puts on Esau's clothes. And so Isaac listens to Jacob as Jacob makes his tasty food that the kind his father likes. Isaac says, you smell like Esau. You feel like Esau. But I hear your voice. You sound like... Jacob. Well, what does the Bible say? Faith comes by hearing. He doesn't care about his hearing anymore. All he cares about is tasty, yummy food. And I remember Bruce Walke, an Old Testament scholar uh, from Regent College, he, he gave a sermon on lessons on retirement from the life of Isaac. Because he says Isaac, in the Bible, is, is intentionally... Um, He's intentionally seen as a person whose life we don't follow. We don't, we don't use him as a model. Because Isaac, he coasts at the end of his life. And so what it reminds us is that at no point in our life can we say, freedom 55, baby, I'm done. Right? We can no longer say, you know what? I was in church. I served in church. I did my time. I'm done. I'm retired. I deserve to have a little bit of rest. You never, ever rest from the life of being a disciple. You just don't. You are a follower of Jesus Christ until your dying breath. Now, I get it. When you get older, you, your employment changes, and you, you're not employed, and you're... I get that's reality, but we never take a rest from following Jesus. 
right? Solomon, he grows complacent in his old age. And, 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 and he's so close to the finish line. His life is wrecked on the shores of eternity when he can see eternity in sight. He stumbles at the finish line. What a warning. Here's the last point. The fifth thing is this. Solomon compromised on what he knew to be right. And it's important to see this. We saw this in chapter 11. It's not like uh, Solomon didn't worship Yahweh, worship God. He did. But he also worshiped a lot of other gods. And the narrator actually points this out. It's really subtle. It's, it's, it's easy to miss. But in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3, it's just a very subtle thing. Listen. Listen to what it says. It's kind of summarizing Solomon's life. It says, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. So far, so good. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father, except he sacrificed and made offerings to high places, to pagan altars. So he walked with God, except he also worshipped at these pagan altars. You and I are in a lot of trouble the moment we add the word except. You know, I love Jesus. I want to follow Jesus all my days. I love Jesus, except there's a show that I really like watching. I know I shouldn't watch it, and... It's, it's pretty dark. But, but I love Jesus, except, you know, I, I'll follow Jesus except that we're at work because you don't understand what my workplace. I mean, the pressure that I'm under and the things that they ask me to do, I know it's not above board. I know I'm not really supposed to do this. But, hey, man, it's, 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 it's my job. It's what I got to do. It's the reality of the world out there. So I love Jesus. I want to follow Jesus except, except I got to get into university. And everybody, everybody else is cheating. And if I don't cheat, they're going to end up ahead of me. They're going to get all the scholarships. So I'm going to follow Jesus except when it comes to this particular exam. Because i got to get in. I really got to get in. It's for the future. And then I'll make money and give it to the church. So that's all good, right? <laughs> the heart's a funny thing. Beware of exceptions. Deuteronomy 6 teaches us to love the Lord our God with our whole heart. As it turns out, Solomon, he wanted the best of both worlds. Yes, follow Yahweh, but he also wanted to serve these idols. But what does Jesus say about serving masters? You can't serve two masters, right? So how does this happen? Well, we got a hint of this in chapter 11. Uh, being married to 1,000 people might mess you up a little bit. Especially when the Bible describes marriage as between a man and a woman, two people, right? Husband and wife becoming one flesh. I always say that whenever I do a wedding. I always say to the husband, say to the wife, I said, you know what? After you leave this place, after getting married, you realize you are entering into the deepest relationship possible. That when you leave this place and if you're traveling to another country and you have, if you have to write down next of kin, you're going to write each other's names down? That's how close this relationship is? That's why divorce can be so painful. Amos 3 says, Can two people walk together if there's no agreement? Well, how can 1,000 people walk together? <laughs> Honestly, Solomon. How can you live a life of integrity, of oneness, when your heart is divided into a 1,000 pieces? 
See, the Bible talks about this. It talks about the dangers of being unequally yoked. What does that mean? To be equally yoked means that you're together going in the same direction. To be unequally yoked means one's going one direction, one's going in the other direction. So it's not just marriage. It could be anything. It could be your, your closest friend. If you're going in two different directions, it's going to be problematic. But a marriage, it matters. Now, I remember, and I think I shared this before, but I remember before I was a Christian, I remember sitting among this group of, uh, of young adults, for I was also a young adult at the time. I was in my mid-20s mid at the time. And I remember we're just talking, and this one girl, and they were all Christians. I was the only person who wasn't a Christian. This one girl said, you know what? I want to get married, but the one thing that's absolutely non-negotiable is the person I marry needs to be a Christian. And I said, are you stupid? I said, are you crazy? Now, part of it is I like this girl. Um, <laughs> I'm like, honestly, she, he needs to be a What if he's a nice guy like me? Um, you know, what, what if he's, you know, such a good guy? Really, you're going to say no to marriage simply because he's, a, you know, he's not a Christian? How narrow-minded can you get? I thought she was off her mind. But I get it now. Because being a Christian is not just about, you know, I go to church on Sunday or whatever. Being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus is, 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 is a whole life thing, right? It affects how, how, what you do with your money, what you do with your time. It affects everything. And if you have two people and one person's this way and one person's this way, you're going to run into problems. Well, Solomon's got one person this way and, you know, 999 other going the, or 1,000 going the other way. In the end, Solomon's heart turns from wisdom. And he ends up with a divided heart. And in the very end, Solomon becomes a fool. Now, one of the questions I've often had is, you know, did Solomon, in the very end, did he turn his life around? Was there like, just before he died, he's like, ah, what was I thinking? I wish I could say yes, that he turned his life around. But there's no indicator, no indication that he did. We know that the shrines that he built, the pagan shrines in Jerusalem, were still standing 300 years later until Josiah tore them down. And it's also telling, because you know in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, it's kind of like the, the uh, roll call of faith, you know, the best of, all the great you know, people of faith from the Bible is kind of laid out in Hebrews chapter 11. You know, like this person, this person, this person. It's funny, you read it, and it says... You know, these great people like Samuel, like David, did nothing. You expect to see no Solomon. His name doesn't show up in the roll call of faith. And this is a tragic life of Solomon, who started off with so much promise, but ended up a foolish, stupid man. All the things he taught, all the things he wrote in his own book of Proverbs, he ignored. No, I'll tell you, man, I, you and I need to learn from Solomon because the worst thing that could happen is like, well, Solomon was quite a bonehead as you leave this place because this, this same thing can happen to you and can happen to me. It's so easy. And so we need to ask ourselves these questions. Have I stopped listening to God? 
What are the things that I'm allowing into my mind, into my heart? Am I guarding my heart? Or am I like a city without walls? So anything comes in, anything goes out. Am I in danger of believing my own press? Am I on a trajectory where if I keep going the way I'm going, I'm going to end up in a lot of trouble? I remember living overseas. I saw my life before I came to faith. I saw my life. If my life kept going, I was going to die. I'd been, I was in a car accident. This, uh, our car got hit by a truck. Our taxi cab got hit by a truck. And, and um, I remember being in my hotel room. And right at that time, I was considering changing jobs and moving to Beijing, working with this really sketchy guy. I would be in the bottom of the Yellow River wearing concrete shoes right now if God hadn't intervened. So you, some of you are in a position right now, you know, you can see the trajectory of your life. If you keep doing what you're doing, you can see what's going to happen. Well, we need to listen. Are we compromising on what we know to be true? See, Solomon's life is a warning and it's an invitation. It's a warning because all of us are in a lot of trouble if we don't cling to God. But it's also an invitation. And the invitation is to come back to Jesus. And that's where the gospel is so important. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, all of our sins can be forgiven. We can be reconciled to a holy father. We can be adopted daughters and sons. And this is the invitation that God has for us. And one of the things that God does because of the cross is that he gives us infinite numbers of resets. <laughs> you want to reset your life? He says, come to me and reset your life. You mess up, you wander, come to me and reset. You can reset over and over and over again because of the cross of Jesus. And each time he looks at you and says, come back, my son, come back, my daughter, and receive life. So it's an invitation for us to walk with the author of life and start again. Some of you may think, yeah, not me, I'm gone too far. No, you're not. You're not. You're not gone too far. It's never too late to turn back and receive the grace and the love of the Father. So let's pray. Father, we come back to you. There are many here this morning that the trajectory is not looking good. There's some patterns, there's some habits, there's some exceptions that have entered into their lives and it's not looking good. Lord, your invitation is that of the running father. You run to us. You say, come to me. Come to me. Jesus, in your, in your own teaching, you say, um, come to me all year weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. There are many here this morning that are just tired. They're tired of living their life independently of you. Your invitation is to come and find rest. Lord, may we find hope in you. May we live our lives in the wisdom that you grant us. May we fix our eyes firmly upon the author and the perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.